0: hey family welcome back Uh, we've been journeying through the book of Galatians and today we're gonna be in chapter 3 so if you have your Bibles and I hope you do go ahead and open them up to Galatians chapter 3 now for the last several weeks we've been talking about this connection to faith in Jesus and the law and what saves us is it keeping the law is it being good enough or is it faith in Jesus and Paul has been making a forceful and fierce argument that it's only in faith in Jesus Christ that saves I remember growing up as a child um, and I heard this and maybe you heard this too growing up that whenever you're an adult then you can do anything you want to do um, so I say hey mom can I hang out with my friends late I said nope as long as you live in my house you're gonna be my, my rules and when you get your house and when you become an adult you can do whatever you want to do you know can I have dessert first nope when you become an adult then you can want to do as long as you live in my house you're gonna be by bye my rules and maybe you heard that too So I didn't take that as an insult. I actually took that literally. So when I moved out and got my own place, I felt like now was the time I could just do whatever I wanted to do. And I quickly realized that instead of hanging out with friends, I'd rather just go to sleep because I was tired and you get older. Um, But there was a sense of like, okay, finally, now I'm an adult. Now I don't have to obey any of those rules that I had to obey when I was a kid. And a lot of believers in this time were wrestling with that same truth of, okay, if it's if we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone, then what about all these commands of scripture? Do we just throw those away and disregard those? Or do they have a place and role even in the Christian life? If they don't, if the faith um, is what saves us in Jesus, what does the law have to do with salvation? If it doesn't save us, then should we throw it out altogether? And Paul here is going to answer that question about what does the purpose and place of the law even in the life of the believer today? He's not going to discard it, but he's going to put the law in its proper place. So let's read this introduction, verses 15 through 18. It says, Brothers and sisters, I'm using a human illustration. No one sets aside or makes additions to a validated human will. Now the promise is spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as though referring to many, but referring to one, and to your seed, who is Christ. My point is this, the law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously established by God, and thus cancel the promise. For if the inheritance is based on the law, it is no longer based on the promise. But God has graciously given it to Abraham through the promise." So, some of you heard new names and terms that you haven't heard before, this idea of a covenant of promise, this man named Abraham, what does that have to do with what we're talking about today? Well, you see, the conversation that we're entering into into the scriptures was a conversation that started a long time ago. And matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 15, we're introduced to this promise that was given to this man named Abraham. It says Genesis chapter 12 verses one through three says this. The Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and I will make you a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. Now listen carefully because this is the promise. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All people on earth will be blessed Through you, And so this promise was given 430 years before the law was given. A promise, a covenant of promise was given to this man, Abraham, that through his lineage, through his descendants, the entire world will be blessed. Now, the question is, was that promise fulfilled? Yes. In verse 14, right above, it says that the purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. So this promise that was given to Abraham, this covenant of promise that was given, was fulfilled in Jesus. And that promise was given before the law. So the question again is, what place does the law have in our lives? If Jesus was the fulfillment, if Jesus is the answer, if Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise, then why do we even have to consider the law? One commentator puts it like this, why then the law? If we are not justified by law, if our receiving the Holy Spirit had nothing to do with the law, if Christ was cursed because of the law, if our very inheritance depends on grace and promise, not on works of the law, what then does the purpose of the law serve? And Paul is going to begin to answer that beginning in verse 19 right here. Read along with me. It says, why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise would made would come. The law was put into effect through the angels by means of a mediator. You see, this tension between the law and the gospel is particularly relevant for us today. Not only does it serve as the foundation of our faith, but it has real-time application in our world and in our culture now. Think about this for just a moment. Me, like you, have seen the frequency and the magnitude of evil on display in our world. We have seen pictures and images and stories of the brokenness and the fallenness of this world. So what is the response of the believer to the evil that we see in this world? Well, there are several responses, but one of those responses is more law. There are some who says we need more laws to hold those in power accountable. We need more laws to punish wrongdoers. We need more laws to dismantle systems of injustice and rebuild systems of equity and fairness. And there are others who see this evil in this world and they don't look to the laws. No, they look to the gospel. They say, no, we just need to preach the gospel. We just need to proclaim Jesus. And we didn't need to disregard these man-made systems because only the gospel can change the hearts of men. And this is the same tension that Paul is wrestling with here. What is the purpose of the law and the gospel? And we're going to see that the answer to that question in these next verses not only will give a foundation for our faith, because all all theology is practical, everything we believe about god in this word has an implication both direct and indirect on our lives we're also going to see that the answer to this question also gives us guidance and hopefully courage to address the evils in our world today so let's begin by unpacking what paul meant in galatians chapter 3 verse 19. he says that the law was given for the sake of transgression now, what does it mean for the sake of transgression? Does it just mean because we were sinful, or was it given so that we would see that we are sinful? And most theologians say that it is actually both. And they describe it this way that there is a preventative purpose of the law, and there is a provocative purpose of the law. There is a preventative purpose which actually restrains the sins of men and women. The law keeps us from being as bad as we would be without consequences. But there's also a provocative purpose of the law where because God says do not lie, we recognize that we are liars because he says don't do certain things. We realize that we are unable to stop ourselves and that provokes us to look for a savior elsewhere. And so right at the beginning, Paul is saying that the law does have a purpose and at least two of those purposes is both preventative and provocative. But he's not done yet. He says we are given for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made was come. So we also see that the law not only has a preventative and provocative purpose, but it also has a temporal purpose. And it was time bound. The law was set in place for a certain time and at which point that law would be fulfilled. So the law was never meant to last forever. The law was never meant to be our guardian, as we're going to see momentarily forever. It was always meant to serve a defined purpose for a defined moment of time. A commentator says like this, just as the law had a point of origin on Mount Sinai, it also had a point of termination on Mount Calvary. You see, from Mount Sinai, where the law was given to Mount Calvary, where Jesus died, that was the time in which the law was in effect. But it would come to an end. But it also says in the last part of verse 19 that the law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. What does Paul mean by it was put into effect by angels, by means of a mediator? Well, he's pointing back to Moses, who was on Mount Sinai, receiving the law, not from God directly, but from angels. Let me prove it to you in scriptures. Acts chapter 7 verse 37 says this. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers and sisters. Verse 38. He is the one. Moses is the one who was in the assembly of the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors. He received living oracles to us. Now, Paul is going to make a distinction here between Moses receiving the law through a mediator of the angels and this covenant of promise fulfilled by Jesus. Verse 20 says this, Now a mediator is not just for one person alone, but God is one. What he's saying here is that God used a mediator to give the law, but God did not use a mediator to give the covenant of promise. The covenant of promise was fulfilled and sealed and ratified by the blood of Jesus himself. By the blood of God, God came down to fulfill the covenant that he made the promise to Abraham. Although the angels delivered the promise to Moses, God himself fulfilled and delivered the promise to Abraham. And Paul is here saying that the covenant of promise is actually superior to the law that was given. Now, we're not putting scripture against scripture here. We're not saying that some parts of the Bible are more important than others. What we're saying is that God's ultimate plan was never for the law to bring us to salvation. God's ultimate plan was always Jesus. Jesus was not plan B. It's not like God gave us the law in hoping that we would figure it out and do the right thing. And once we tried to do the right thing, he realized we couldn't. And then he said, man, what am I going to do? Oh, let me send Jesus. No, the law was always designed to be both temporary and insufficient. It was never meant to save. Now, Moses received the law through the media of the angels. Abraham received the covenant of promise from God directly to show the, the supremacy of the covenant of promise. So then, if you're noticing and paying attention, that Paul quite hasn't answered the question yet. He hasn't quite said, okay, we know that the, the law was temporary. We know that it has a preventative and provocative purposes, but why have the law at all? Why do we need the law if Jesus was promised to Abraham 430 years before the law? Why go through all this trouble of giving the law at all? And here Paul is going to get real clear about what the law was designed to do. Verse 21 of Galatians 3. It says this is the law, therefore, contrary to God's promises, is the law contrary to this covenant of promise, the gospel? Absolutely not. For if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. What we're saying here is if you understand the law to be what saves you and now we're coming along and say the gospel is what saves you. Those things would be intention. Those would be contradicting one another. Paul here is saying that the law was never meant to save. It was always designed to show our need for a savior. And so the good news of Jesus Christ is not in tension or in contradiction to the law, because the law was never meant to do what only Jesus could do. The law was always meant to point to our failures and our need, not as a path to salvation. Now, that's the first purpose of the law was to show us our need for a savior. But what else? Verse twenty through twenty five says this, but the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power, so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Christ Jesus to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ, so that we could be justified by faith. But since faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Now. What is this long passage about? You know, the law is a garden and a fence and an imprisonment, like what is Paul saying? Well, this goes against the idea that most Jews believed that the law was a protective hedge of protection against the outside forces of evil. Some of you may be familiar with the old gospel song that Jesus be a fence. Well, the Jews believed that the law was the fence It was our rites of circumcision. It was our rites of fasting and celebration that separated us from the Gentiles, separated us from the heathen, separated us from those godless people. And so for them, the law was a fence of safety, keeping them away from this godless people that they were surrounded by. Paul is turning that metaphor on its head by saying, no, it's not a fence of safety to keep the law. It's actually a fence of imprisonment. What you think is making you safe is actually imprisoning you. You are locked in this cage because the law only curses those who try to obey it. It says things in the law, like in in Exodus and Deuteronomy, that if you obey the law, you will live. But the problem is, if you try to obey the law, you realize that you can't. You realize you can never be good enough. You can never worship God as he ought to be worshipped. And so life itself is always out of your reach if you are trying to use the law to get there. And so this fence of protection was really a fence of imprisonment. It was to show our need for a savior. We make it plain for you. Um, a few years back, I went on a family vacation, um, and as some of you may know, I don't really get sick often, and when I do, I just kind of ignore it, which is not great medical advice, um, but I, get a, I started to get a little temperature when I was out there. I was thinking, oh man, we're in Arizona, it's hot, it's not a big deal, Then I started to feel a little lightheaded, I started to feel a little dizzy, and my wife Jenny was asking me, hey, are you okay, maybe you should lie down, and I did not want her help. My, my mom was trying to offer me some medication and some fluids, and I did not want her help. But finally, I was crippled by this thing and I ended up spending two days lying in bed in the fetal position, sweating 24 hours a day. And only when I felt like I was literally going to die that I was finally ready to say, you know what? Give me them Gatorades. You know what? Give me give me that Tylenol. You know what? Let's 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 call the doctor. You see, I was willing to to tough it out as long as I had the strength. As long as I believed I could beat this thing, I was going to try it. But the moment I realized I was not strong enough, I was not bad enough, that I needed help, I reached out and cried for a Savior. And that's the purpose of the law. It's to say, okay, you you think you can live without God? You think you can live your own way? Okay, you can think you can be good enough to get to God? Okay, here, obey all of these commandments, obey all of these rules, obey all of these commands, and then you will be made right with God. Well, it's more of a, a truth or dare than a statement of fact, because the reality is we can't do that. And so the law's purpose was to show us that we needed something besides the law to save us. Paul here is oftentimes accused of being um, an antinomious, right? Someone who's discarding the law, someone who says the, the law has no purpose. On the contrary, he's saying that the law has served a very specific and important purpose. It's to show us our need. There's two ways to salvation, church. You can trust in Jesus Christ or you can be perfect. Those are your only two options. You keep all the law all the time in your mind and your thoughts and your actions and your attitudes and your behaviors. You do that and you'll be okay. Try it if you'd like. Or you can trust in Jesus Christ because perfection is not possible. And we've seen that in our own lives to be true. And so Paul is saying that the law's purpose was never to save, it was to show us our need for a savior. And so they complement one another, they don't contradict one another. The law was never meant to save, it was designed to show our need for a savior, it was meant to be preventative in restraining our sin, and provocative in showing us our need for a savior because of our sins, and the law was based on obedience the covenant of hope, the covenant of promise given to Abraham was meant to save us from our sins. It was fulfilled by Jesus, our savior. And it doesn't restrain us from sin. It actually frees us from the curse of sin. And it's not based on obedience. It's based on faith in Jesus. So then what? If all this is true, which the Bible says it is, what are we to do? Now, let me say this quickly, that no conversation about the law and the gospel would be complete without reading other passages. Paul here is not trying to give an exhaustive treatise on the relationship between the law and the gospel. Romans chapter 7, Deuteronomy 27 and 28 are critical passages, one of many critical passages, if we wanted a a broader understanding. But here, Paul is making a very narrow case about the purpose of the law when it comes to salvation itself. And so he's saying that it was never meant to save, that it was always meant to point to Jesus. So let me give some applications today before I wrap up. One, for the believer. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, be reminded today that just as you received Christ Jesus, so then continue to live in Christ Jesus. Colossians chapter 2 commands us. And so just the way we receive Jesus through faith and grace and mercy, so we live our daily life through faith, grace and mercy. God didn't just get you started so that you could figure it out on your own now. No, every single day we are dependent upon our Savior. Never, never the law. God engages with us and God is motivated to move on our behalf, not primarily because of us, but because of Jesus. It's him who motivates us. It's Jesus's perfection that God sees when he looks at us. So be encouraged by that truth. For the unbeliever. This is a reminder of what we've been saying every single week, that it's not about you being good enough. It's not about you being righteous enough. It's not about you doing all the right things. It's not about you cleaning your life up. It's only by trusting in Jesus will you find eternal life. And that eternal life is only found in Jesus. So hear that today, that all you have to do right now is repent of your sins and trust in him. And then you can be saved. But I started this conversation with a question. The question about what do we do when we look at the evils in this world? What do we do when we see rampant and raging evil all around us? Two of those common responses is one, we need to change the law. We need to use the law to try to achieve justice. And there are others who say, no, the law can never change the hearts of men. We need to preach the gospel only, and we need to stay away from civic engagement. We need to stay away from sociopolitical involvement. We need to only be preachers of the good news of Jesus Christ. Hopefully today you begin to settle in your minds that it's not either or, but it's both and. Martin Luther King said it this way, The law can't make a man love me, but it can stop him from lynching me. And that is pretty important. The law cannot make a man love me, but it can stop him from lynching me. And that is pretty important. You see, sometimes we need to restrain the hands of men, the preventative purpose of the law. Even if it's only to provoke them to realize that true justice cannot be achieved on this side of eternity. And so working to change the law, working to dismantle systems of inequity and racism and bias and evil, Working to dismantle those systems does not counter the gospel. As a matter of fact, if done by the people of God, it can actually be a compliment to the gospel because no matter how hard we work to make this side of heaven, heaven, it will never be. No matter how hard we work to achieve justice on this end, it will never be true justice. That does not mean that we shouldn't try and strive for justice. It should mean that as we pursue earthly justice, the longing for more should point people to eternal justice, to eternal righteousness. You see, even the laws of this land can be used in both preventative and provocative ways. The laws can be preventative to restrain the sins of men and women. But they can also be provocative in the sense that, man, where does this idea of justice even come from? There must be someone deciding what's wrong and what's right, because there's a longing in my heart for what's right. And so even the laws of this land can be used in preventative and provocative ways. And so, dear Christian, if you are troubled, if you are worried, if you are concerned, if you are plagued just by the evils of this world and you are wondering what to do and you're hearing conflicting thoughts hear today, the word of God saying it's not either or. It's not just stand on the corner and, and, preach the, and preach the gospel. And it's not just vote differently and, and engage civically, but it's actually both are necessary. One restrains the sinful men and women, and one shows the need for more than just restraint, but a need for a savior. And so we can be believers who work for the good of men in this life, but also point to a hope that transcends all the good that we could get in this life. And so we can be people who live in the both and and not the either or. Let me end with the last verse in this section, verse 26. It says this For through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul is about to make a shift here. He's about to shift from just laying down a theological foundation to begin showing us how then we are to live with each other and with God in light of this truth if the law was never meant to save, if the covenant should be re-understood to not be the path of salvation, but to point to the need for a savior, if that's true, how then are we to live differently in among each other, in the church and in the world? And that's where Paul's going to go next week.